And we're back. You're tuned into the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. My name is Justin here in Los Angeles, and I'm joined by Jason in the Snoring Desert. How's it going, man? How are you? How are you hanging in out there in LA? I'm good. It is the end of May. Um, we are closing out two and a half months thus far in uh, in our lockdown, which is which is changing. Um, every day, if not every hour throughout the United States. Yeah, it's been such a strange thing to be able to go back and listen to the podcast and sort of hear the real-time observations that we're making from the beginning of, of this thing. It's been a strange, it's been a strange ride. Yeah, it, it, it has. We, uh, <laughs> we definitely have, have been able to document the, the historic record throughout this, uh, this Transmissions podcast. Yeah. The cool thing, though, is that this week we've got a talk that's uh, kind of off to the side of this. But uh, while quarantine was going on, Aquarium Drunkard celebrated 15 years, 15 years of existence. That's got to feel kind of nuts to be able to reflect on a decade and a half of Aquarium Drunkard at this point. It's bonkers. Uh, just thinking about, again, fif- 15 years. You know, I was my my 20s when I started this. And, you know, there were, there were plans to have some kind of to-do in Los Angeles. Uh, we were talking to Scott, who books the, the Terragram uh, Ballroom and doing some stuff at Gold Diggers. But obviously, um, this new reality descended upon us. So, yeah, we... Um, we all just kind of celebrated at home, Jason. Yeah, I mean, uh, celebrated in in a unique way, though. Uh, for those who are tuned in to the podcast, you're probably aware that uh, Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard, which ran for uh, two and a half months, is that right, Justin? Did, was was that on the air for two and a half months? Close to it, yeah. We started almost uh, almost immediately um, once LA went into lockdown. Aquarium Drunkard's radio station, which had always been sort of this idea that you had you had kicked around and you told me, you know, hey, I think it would be cool to someday make that happen. A quarantine kicked in and uh, there's a global pandemic and it got uh, got everybody motivated enough to make, I think, uh, just about two and a half months of really incredible uh, radio. And right in the midst of all that. We, it's 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 on pause for now. We should make that clear for anybody yes. who's, who's curious. But hopefully, uh, we'll be back in 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 the near future in some new incarnation. We'll see what happens. Um, but while it was going, uh, one of the coolest things on Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard, in my opinion was Ben Kramer's weekly Tonight Zone show. And I wondered if, before we get into this week's interview, which is you on the Tonight Zone, live with Kramer, remarking uh, on 15 years of Aquarium Drunkard, I wondered if you could quickly explain to us what the Tonight Zone uh, uh, is, slash was, slash is. Yeah, the Tonight Zone, rest in peace for now, that was Aquarium Drunkard's late night call-in radio show. It usually ran from 10 p.m. until 2 a.m. Pacific, and it was hosted by Ben Kramer. Uh, His alter ego is the llama, and yeah, we we set up an 800 number, which is still active. It's 183-DRUNKARD, and you could call. There were a bunch of prompts. You could leave recorded messages, but it was also live while The Tonight Zone was on air. Yeah, it was really strange. It harkened back to, I think, one of our our primary influences, you know, coast to coast AM. You had this like late night call in feel. Very strange. 
and the the strangeness uh it, it did not lack on the tonight zone it got very strange very often um <laughs> indeed but uh it was re- it's really tremendous ben a longtime aquarium drunkard contributor and uh you guys will hear as you listen to this interview uh, a lot about his history but uh one of the one of the coolest things that came out of the tonight zone was uh you, you ended up uh, airing a, a special with adult swim that featured a, a live episode synced with uh some really cool footage and that was uh available through the adult swim app so do you think that there's a chance that uh that future tonight zone audio visual broadcasts might make their way out into the the world at some point in the near future i believe so i I don't think that was a one-off adult swim they let us take over for about six hours uh and we kicked off with Episode one of the Aquarium Drunkard Picture Show, and then we went right into The Tonight Zone, which was uh, simulcast with a bunch of found footage played against it. Yeah, you know, Jason, that's about a, that's about a nine gig file. Yeah, that sounds huge. On my, on my hard drive, but it would be fun to somehow make that uh, more widely available to Aquarium Drunkard uh, fans. Well, we'll see what happens with that, but uh, without much much further ado, we can get into your interview with Ben Kramer. Uh, this is Justin Gage live on The Tonight Zone, talking about 15 years of Aquarium Drunkard, which, I mean, look, I've said it before in other talks, and I've said it to anybody who will ever listen, but long before I ever contributed to Aquarium Drunkard or was part of the team or even knew who you were personally, uh, Aquarium Drunkard was, was my favorite blog. Uh, and uh, I, I can't help but uh, but feel uh, kind of uh, emotional as we as we look back on 15 years of this blog because I, I wasn't there right at the very beginning. You'll hear why as the interview goes on. But I got on board pretty soon thereafter. And uh, Justin, I just want to say it's a real pleasure to to co-host this thing with you. And uh, it was really great listening to you and Ben talk about the history of this project that. Uh, that means so much to me. So congrats, Justin, 15 years of Aquarium Drunkard. Thanks, brother. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine having you on board. All right. Well, here it is. Without further ado, this is The Llama in conversation with your co-host, Justin Gage. You're tuned into the Aquarium Drunkard's transmission podcast. Uh, do us a favor. Leave us a, a, a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever. Share those links. Help us get the word out there. Support us on Patreon if you're able. That's one way, the best way, to help us keep doing what we're doing. Let's get into it. Here's the Tonight Zone. You're tuned in to the Transmissions Podcast, and we'll be back next week. Good evening, and welcome to a special early evening edition of the Tonight Zone. I'm the Llama, a.k.a. Ben Kramer, a.k.a. the Master at Arms for Aquarium Drunkard. And tonight's guest has been a mentor, colleague, friend, guru, excellent recommender, and he is the founder of Aquarium Junkard, who, which celebrates 15 years this evening. Please join me in welcoming Justin Gage. Hello, Justin. Crowd roars. The Lama Kramer, the first uh, intern. Was I the first? I, I don't hmm. know if I was the first. Was, was Marty Garner the first? It was either you or Marty. That, that's actually a really good question. I think it would be Marty. I think Marty was before me, but I'll, I'll take the honor of second. If, um, Se- all right, second, second. Yeah, I, I, 
I remember clearly the day that you you arrived in the the gritty part of downtown Los Angeles where the office was based. Yeah, so to so to let folks know out there, the Aquarium Drunkard offices once shared an illustrious space uh, with numerous other uh, let's call them startups, shall we? To glamorize that's them generous. Yeah, yeah. be extra generous <laughs> and call them startups. Right. Uh, in downtown LA, 14th and Alameda, was that right? That's right. It's the warehouse Alameda. district. Yep. Uh, down the street from some pinata factories and fruit distributors uh, in two airplane hangars. And we occupied a small glass box. Uh, I'll just, I remember my very first day I came in and I just kind of sat uh, in the live broadcast radio area of the hangar waiting for you and... Uh, Scott Simino yep. to show up. I think it was, I was just waiting for you guys to show up. I think I showed up at like an early hour of nine, and you guys were more of an 11, 11.30 kind of crowd. That sounds about, about right. Yeah, I remember showed up, and I think you were sitting outside, sitting, sitting on your briefcase smoking a cigarette. <laughs> So Justin, that that's a couple of years into things getting going, but let's just let's just jump in and start at the beginning. So it's 2006, and you decide to start. 2005, actually. 2005, you decide yeah. to start an aquarium drunkard. Sorry. Yep. Why did you start it? Why why did you need to kind of formalize it under this banner? All right. So it's spring of 2005. I moved to California in 2001, so I'd been out here a minute. Yeah, I was living in Venice Beach, and blogs, you know, when you when you thought of the word blog, if you knew what it was, you would usually associate it with a political blog, as those were the main ones kind of happening at the time. And I decided to start with it was Blogspot, which I guess was later purchased by Google. I don't even know if Blogspot's still around anymore, but... It was, it was a free service. I started it. It was a way to keep up with my friends from school who had dispersed um, all over the country and all over the world. And I thought it was just a handier way to keep up with everyone instead of um, just kind of a janky email thread. It was just a way to talk. Originally, it was a way to talk about what I was listening to, you know, what I was up to, what films I was watching, but it, it very quickly morphed into a strictly music blog uh, very, very quickly after that. Did you uh, have any kind of form of, of sharing this before? Was this really the first uh, incarnation of, of broadcasting in this way, or did you have other means of sharing or kind of, you know, like a yearly, you know, I mean, email? With no, I mean, man... When I started this, I didn't even know what Pitchfork was. I didn't know there were other music blogs out there, and there really weren't. There were maybe ten other ones, but no, this was a, this was a, a, a totally new world to me. Um, I'd always been involved in music, whether it was in bands in high school or was a record clerk in Athens in, in school back in Georgia in college. And my first gig out of school was working in the dot com industry as a music editor, but. Yeah, I mean, now looking back, it all kind of feels like it it fell in place the way it was supposed to. But no, setting this up, man, I was I was completely illiterate as to any online music discussion. When did you first realize that this had kind of gone beyond just the family and friends that you had set this up for? 
I said this was May of 05. And I think by December of that year, there was, uh, I don't know, a thousand people a day uh, coming around, just looking at the site meter at the time. So it was a pretty quick ramp up. Um, again, there weren't that many music blogs to speak of um, doing anything like this. So um, there were there were obviously people people hungry for this kind of content, and I was there early. And I guess from the from the from the get, I wasn't I wasn't talking about solely new music. And I think maybe that that set Aquarium Drunkard, as it were, apart from uh, from the other sites that were doing something similar. So, so just beyond that, just beyond being the selector, you know, what did you feel like you could bring to the table that was worthy of kind of more than just saying, "Hey, here's some good music." You know, what what did you feel like you had to contribute uh, in the words that accompanied a lot of this stuff, all of these posts? Um, you know. I, I think it takes a lot to kind of say, you know, here's my little essay on it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think maybe perspective. I think, again, 2005, if you think to what was popular in terms of of new music at the time, in in terms of, uh, you know, what was, I guess, it's kind of a nebulous term, but indie rock at the time, LCD Sound System or Arcade Fire were very big back then. And it's, it, for me, from my perspective, reading a lot of things about those bands at the time was, uh, I didn't feel like there was a lot of perspective, um, from, from what I was reading about it being put into the fact that, um, both of those artists were borrowing a lot from the past from talking heads or whoever. And I think I kind of looked at it as an opportunity to, to talk about the artist who, who had influenced a lot of this, this new music is, is there, you know, uh, a kind of source or, or sources in your own musical uh, upbringing that filled a similar place for you that kind of were addressing a, a void or a gap in your area of interest? Are there writers or publications that, that have that kind of voice for you and then, you know, you kind of charted a similar uh, tack when you started Drunkard? I grew up in Atlanta and... There was a great college radio station called Album. It was Album 88. It was 88.5, um, which was the Georgia State College radio station. And I would listen to that religiously um, from middle school on. Early zine culture, picking that stuff up at the record stores around Atlanta. And uh, then going off to school, uh, I went to school in Athens, Georgia, which is pretty well-known uh, music town. <laughs> yes. And uh, clerked in a record store, which, you know, you're, you're exposed to all the other clerks, and they were all a lot older than me. Um, so getting turned on to stuff through the people that worked there, um, and thinking about it now, it's, they kind of recontextualized my dad's record collection for me. You know, starting clerking in a record store at 19, I listened to lots of stuff 
um, in high school and before that. But I think I was I was very I was very dialed into what I perceived to be underground music and clerking in a record store and having um, somebody working there that was a little bit older and someone that I perceived to be very interesting and hip kind of recontextualize a Stevie Wonder record for me um, and a record that I had heard a lot growing up as a kid through my dad's collection um, and not just Stevie Wonder but jazz records and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think that was massive for me. And I want to give a shout out to, and you can still pick this up cheap, I think, on eBay probably, but the Spin Alternative Record Guide came out in 1995. Man, I don't, do you know this, Kramer? Have you ever looked at this? I've seen it. I, I never had a copy, but I, I know others who have said that it is kind of like a, it's an epic tome. I mean, it, it's, you know, this is 1995. This thing comes out. Um, I'm 19 or whatever. And this was kind of my introduction to, you know, names like John Fahey or Afrobeat or, or whatever it is. And all this stuff sounds pretty commonplace now, but, you know, this is obviously <laughs> way before the internet. So reading about, you know, Brian Eno's Another Green World, I mean, that, that it was just a, a huge source of information. So yeah, there were there were these things before the internet um, that you could seek out, but it was kind of this this hard fought, hard won knowledge from you know talking to people in record stores or again zine culture, going to shows, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's interesting to me that you you find some inspiration from uh, record store clerks because you know obviously a stereotype being. Um, a lot of passion, a lot of love, maybe some negativity. Apologies to the drunkard community <laughs> there, uh, myself included, who have worked record shops. Um, but you know, the, the ethos of the site is very, very obviously, uh, as, as it's said, only the good shit. And you will not go to drunkard, and you will not, uh, you will not go to drunkard and find an article that says, "Don't listen to this." Right. We don't like this. And it's a very peculiar approach. I mean, many, many sites obviously are saying, you know, we endorse this, but it's a very clear ethos that this has never been about what's, uh, what we don't like. What, what was your inspiration there? What made you say, you know, I'm not going to write down anything. I'm not going to put anybody down. This is just going to be good shit. I mean, very simply, I always, from the get-go, I looked at it, like, if you're coming to the site, I wanted it to feel more like, I think back to when I was a kid, um, I didn't have an older sibling, but I can remember some of my friends, older brothers, hipping me to bands, whether it was early REM, Devo, or whatever. I wanted it to kind of feel like that. And another thing, and this is probably... Uh, probably obvious but there, man there's so much good music to listen to and to think about and to write about i didn't see there any reason to delve into the records that i didn't like <laughs> you know what i mean well i mean we, we've talked about it that there's there's so much music what there is really no reason to spend any time on the things you don't like so just look for something you enjoy some people may get off on you know hate writing something a review but that's 
that's never appealed to me. So the site's never been about that. What do you think was your goal right at the get-go in terms of where you wanted the site to go? And then, you know, do you think there was kind of a moment when you said, oh gosh, you know, this could really be something else? Again, it, it started off completely as a fluke, like I said, as a way to, to keep in touch with uh, a close group of friends that would talk about art and music um, and food and travel and whatever we were whatever films we were watching, but it, it quickly did outgrow that and became solely a music outlet. But man, at the beginning, I was going through this really uh, heavy period of, of looking back at American roots music, folk music, hillbilly music, whatever you want to call it. And in retrospect, I was still in my 20s, late 20s. I'd been living in California for four years. And I think I'd had enough separation from living in the Southeast to be interested and kind of look at the heritage of the music, of some of the music from that region uh, from a different vantage point. So I think the first couple of years of Aquarium Drunkard, there was maybe an, an outsized influence of, of that kind of stuff because that, that's just what I was really curious about and looking into in a way that I hadn't before because obviously growing up in the Deep South, I was born in the mid-'70s, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s there, that stuff was all around. But I, I grew up in Atlanta and I had family that lived in more rural parts of the Southeast, but that was that was never something that I personally had really dug deep into at that kind of level. And I think at first the website was was really focused on my exploration of that. And then, you know, I got that out of my system and it kind of I went back into my my usual listening habits. Yeah, was there a, was there a point or did you start out kind of with a well of material you wanted to share and write about and did you at some point start incorporating new music or new finds or what did, you know, was there kind of like, did you really run out of stuff from the well? And so you had to look to new sources. No, ne never ran out. I think a lot of it was again, what I was, what I was personally curious about at the time and things that I had like curios that I had collected over the years and some of this stuff since quarantine started, um, I've been sharing again, but you know, stuff from my old case logic CDR binder, which is, I don't know, 23 years old or something now, but yeah, a lot of reap the rewards of that a couple of weeks ago. With, uh, yeah. I mean, just a lot of, a lot of stuff that in the, in the, in the late nineties, kind of when CD burning first became a thing. Um, I have shows of, you know, James Booker playing in Montrose, Switzerland from 1978 that I remember a friend giving me and that turned me on to a whole new world of music. Um, this Bob Marley thing at the record plant in, in Sausalito that somebody gave me in the late 90s. I had burned a CDR from the mid-70s. Just a lot, of, a lot of that stuff I was sharing when the website first took off. Stuff that I had that at the time wasn't really widely out there because 
again, even in 2005, to get an MP3 on, like hosting everything was, it was a lot trickier. It was a lot more expensive. Things just weren't as plug and play as they are in 2020. Yeah, what did you have to do in the beginning to host, to, to kind of, you know, I imagine a lot of us around that time knew how to get music from various sources, but maybe didn't know how to yeah. share it more than kind of opening um, yourself up to Napster or something. Sure, yeah. So the the publication, Aquarium Drunkard, it was first hosted at Blogspot, which was a, a free publishing platform. And the MP3s were hosted from a service that was called Easy Archive. I don't know if they're still around or not, but at the time, it was one of the uh, the few hosting sites that were relatively simple, where you could, you know, you could share the song and, you know, do this uh, this really brute force way of streaming it, or you could download it. Um, and besides that, there were these kind of third-party um, applications that you could use but would probably have a bunch of malware or something. So I really tried to try to stay away from that stuff. Um, and I was very adamant about not posting uh, in, entire albums or anything like that, you know, just sharing a track or two. Yeah, did you run into issues or, I mean, copyright or artists and their reps? Not really because... Again, I, I was just trying to give a taste of something. So it would be, you know, an MP3 versus, you know, uh, a download of the record. One of the few times I really remember someone asking me to take something. Oh, I'm going to change the record here. Um, someone asking me to turn something down was... Um, I had uh, a friend shared with me the Steely Dan Gaucho out outtakes. I'm a Steely Dan nut. And <laughs> these were outtakes that never made the Gaucho records. So this is, I don't know, maybe 2007. And I, I did publish a zipped folder of like these eight outtakes. And whoever the label was, someone did reach out and ask me to to take it down. But again, that wasn't really what I was trying to accomplish. Um, so it's kind of a, a single incident. You know, again, those are, those are outtakes that still have yet to see the light of day in any format. Was there a point, or rather, when was the point when, you know, people started reaching out and saying, you know, or would you be interested in listening to our artist or my music or, you know, how early on were you getting submissions formal or otherwise? Uh, it was relatively quick. When I started doing this, there weren't that many other uh, audio blogs. There was Gorilla vs. Bear. There was Said the Gramophone. There was Flux Blog, uh, Stereo Gum, you know, maybe a half a dozen more. So there weren't, there weren't that many. But we all started communicating uh, with one another because there weren't that many of us doing it, just kind of sharing tips about kind of about the stuff that you and I were talking about earlier about how do you host, what's the easiest way to host a file or images or whatnot. And I guess through that, publicists would get our email and reach out. And I guess that's how that started. 
you know, how did the response early on change your approach in terms of your listening and what you wanted to share with the audience? Were you getting feedback and saying, oh, people are responding to these posts and so I'm going to write more about that? Or did it just give you confidence to trust your own taste? Man, I'll be honest. Uh, what Aquarium Director just posted has never, what people have responded to or not has never factored into it at all, um, which is probably the reason we're even having this conversation 15 years later. Um, it's never been driven or dictated by trends or, or what's fashionable or anything uh, like that. I mean, I, I joke with people and, and say that I've sat out, you know, entire trends of music, but it's true. Like chill wave, like, yeah, we had to sit that one out. <laughs> and there's been, there's been other shit like that. Whatever the, whatever the, the, the weird recipe bouillabaisse of, of slop that makes up aquarium drunkard sonically like I, I can't pinpoint it but there is something and sometimes we'll be um relevant with what's happening presently but you know sometimes we won't and like i said you just gotta, gotta sit those out when did you decide to start bringing in contributors uh, I can tell you the the first contributor was Josh Nace in 2008. Josh lives in North Carolina, and he was uh, he was one of the early commenters on Aquarium Drunkard. Um, I don't know from from the from the absolute get go, but really early on. And you know, one of the things that I really miss about let's say 2005 to 2010 before social media is the comment section on Aquarium Drunkard was so robust. Every post was like a minimum of 40 comments or something. And the comments would often be as interesting or more than what the actual post was about. People sharing their opinions, recommendations. And, and Josh was one of those people. And he had, and he's, I think he still does, he has a, a radio show in Greensboro, North Carolina, and, you know, we, we started a, an email dialogue and he became the first contributor to Aquarium Drunkard, which was fantastic. He brings this amazing wealth of knowledge of music and, and especially when it comes to, to power pop and even, even <laughs> drilling down a little further, like I've never met anyone who knows more or, or, or has, uh, more thoughtful views on the replacements than, uh, than Josh Nace. Were you anxious about opening up the forum to, to voices other than your own, or was it, did it just feel natural that you might, you know, start allowing, uh, to become a platform? Man, let's be honest. Like here we are 15 years later and there's only been like eight other people. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's been pretty, yeah, it's been natural. I mean, you know, eight people to the, the, core group yeah there's been people that have come and gone over the years as well but aside of you know there's only been one instance of a of someone uh contributing to the website that um i later felt felt weird about but yeah it's been uh it's been a good run 
Well, you're not shutting down, right? It's it's still going. The run. Oh, it, oh, it's still okay. going. Cool. It's still going. Yeah. You, you know, I, I guess to kind of jump ahead to, to the present, you know, do you feel like you can, or you still are, keeping up in the same way? Are you kind of still finding stuff in the past and the present? Do you feel like the site is uh, now more product of contributors and what they can bring, or, or, or are you still bringing that same? original ethos and style uh, originally, or do you just not have the time? It's the same ethos and vision. But, you know, now, in terms of my role, it's more, uh, you know, it, it's more big picture. Uh, you know, in 2018, we were able to bring on Jason Woodbury as, as editor, which kind of freed me up to, to think about some of the things that I just, I just didn't have the bandwidth to do previously, um, even just recent things. Like we started this 24-7 <laughs> radio platform that you and I are, are presently on and a lot of other things. But yeah, the ethos is absolutely um, exactly what it was in 2005. It's just instead of it being, you know, a thousand people a week, it's 400,000 or whatever. Do you, you know, looking back, I very much recall that a big part of my first several years working with you was a lot of shows that Drunkard was the media presenter for. So a lot of, you know, kind of show promotion, but also putting on events. Right. Their own. And then, of course, there was Autumn Tone. Uh, yep. The record label. You know, I'm kind of wondering, you know, there's there's been these great projects that have had, you know, su success in varying degrees. You know, what is what is your ethos for what you do to expand beyond the site? So what where do you feel comfortable, you know, kind of using the name and using the the clout maybe that comes with brand for lack of a better term? Well, I mean I think in in, in the most basic way to say it would be only the good shit. If it doesn't fit in with uh, with the core Aquarium Drunkard Vision, then it's out. But, you know, most of the shows, or I should say all the shows that we've presented or promoted or put on or been a media sponsor on, it's all stuff that we're already backing on the website or on the, the show on satellite radio or a million other different ways. You know, we need to, we need to say hello to Scott Simino out there in Radio Land if he's tuned in. Scott was with Aquarium Drunkard for years, and Scott is a, a tremendous force when it comes to having a really acute ear and talent for live music. So we were doing quite a bit on the on the live music uh, tip when Scott was on board, not just in L.A., but in New Orleans and Texas and New York and beyond. Some great show. I remember some wonderful South by Southwest shows, of course. And oh yeah, you know, definitely in the uh, earlier days, a lot of blog uh, showcases as well. You know, yeah, I I love man, I love that stuff and putting that stuff together. The, these aquarium drunkard shows, it was so much fun. But again, you've got to have someone like Scott who's really he's 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 taking that on. And he's he's guiding it and finessing it. I mean, it's a it's a full time job. How is 
you know, how would you just very simply describe your taste evolving over these years? Regard, you know, forget forget the site, but if you were just to describe how you as a listener have changed, how would you put that? I'm kind of listening <laughs> to the same scope of music that I was when I was 20 years old. It's just a lot. It's a lot deeper. Um, I've said this before in interviews, but my dad and I may have not have always seen eye to eye on a lot of things, but he was a deep head and he's the one that got me into, you know, African music. He got me into Celtic music, jazz, country. I mean, you name it. The only stuff he didn't get me into was, you know, post-punk. But I mean, he's the one that even hit me to like rap when I was a kid, like Rapper's, rapper's Delight, Sugar Hill Gang. So he kind of set a course when I was young. So a lot of the stuff that I am still exploring in terms of genre, it's not dissimilar from, you know, 30 years ago. It's just this never-ending deep pool of sound that you, you can never, you can never not find something that is new, is going to blow your mind, set you off on some different course. You're listening to The Tonight Zone with a special interview with Aquarium Drunkard founder Justin Gage. We're live online at aquariumdrunkard.com slash RFAD. Justin and I, of course, appreciate if you throw us a couple of bones at patreon.com slash aquariumdrunkard. No pressure. No pressure. You know, we, we've neglected to mention, but our phone line is open. You can reach us at 83Drunkard. That's 833-786-5273. If you've got a question for Justin, if you've got a question for me, I don't know why you would. If you've got, eh, I don't know, if you need advice, Justin and I are here for you. Justin, you know, you kind of talk about those earliest influences. I, I guess, is there is there an artist or an album that was really the revelation for you? That was really kind of when you were like, oh, this is me and my taste. Say that again, Kramer. Well, w w would you say, you know, there was an album? You know, I'll, I'll give you an example for me. When I was 15 sure. years old, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot came out. Mm -hmm. And it was a transformative album for me. Maybe I was 14, I forget exactly. But, uh, you know, it, it was really the first album that I was like, oh, this is my taste. This is right. what I like. And I had a lot of music that I loved, but I wasn't like, I have a taste. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering for you, you know, what, what was that? What was the record that kind of made you go? You know, maybe my dad shares this with me, but I've got oh, this in the Okay, I, I see what you're getting at. Okay, it's not a record, but it's a band, Fugazi. Mm. When I was uh, when I was 14, um, yeah, getting, getting my, my first Fugazi CD. Did you ever play that for your dad? Yeah, I did. How and he wasn't into it. In fact, I had a I had a obviously bootleg Fugazi bumper sticker on my my Nissan when I was 16 and yeah, he wasn't he wasn't into it. Let me ask you this. You know, there there's been 15 years now of the blog and you know, every day somebody might go on the site and find something they've never heard before, but I'm wondering for you as, as both a fan and somebody who's curated a roster of contributors who bring their own flavors to things, you know, what is, 
a great revelation for you that wasn't something you brought to the table? What is a post on, in Drunkard's past that really stands out to you maybe as either exceptional journalism or a track that just really blew you away? Oh, God, man. So many. I mean, of course, of course. Something, something that comes immediately to mind was over the past couple of years, there's been, like, well, I guess, three installments now to the Aquarium Drunkard Guide to ECM Records. And as, as you're probably aware, there's, you know, 2,000 plus titles in that catalog that started in 1969. And I had a pretty, pretty solid grasp of the ECM sound and the output. But man, some of the stuff that the crew brought to the table, man, just split my skull wide open. Just, man, again, that, that just deep, never-ending pool of sound, just endless. Um, I mean, that, that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Those, those guys to ECM records are, if you're interested in that kind of thing, are just relevatory. Is there, you know, I, I guess the site has had some amazing hits, you know, some some stuff that's really struck a chord and crossed over into the mainstream. There are several acts that, you know, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of broke through Drunkard. I'm guessing, you know, that wasn't a goal when you posted any single act. And I, I know personally that some of those were kind of ones that you were like, I think this might be somebody who's about to break big. But, you know, was it ever was it ever on your mind that it would be important to find artists no matter no matter where they fell on the spectrum of popularity that you just wanted to find the most cutting edge or most exciting newest artists and be the first to break them was that an important pull for you that you be the person who shared it first or was it just no. it came across your desk and i love it no i in fact I, I would almost say i've taken kind of a contrarian view to that i i really don't care about being first to the point that Years ago, I had to send kind of a directive out to publicists just saying, we don't do premieres. As, as so much of the music press was just really revolving around premieres and, and outlets wanting to get it first. And if they didn't get it first, then they weren't going to write about it at all. And doing Autumn Tone Records at the time, sitting on both sides of the desk, I was just really, uh, really bummed out by the just the whole culture that was forming around firsties. And it was the complete antithesis of how I wanted Aquarium Drunkard to operate. Um, so yeah, we, we, uh, we did away with premiering anything. Is there, a, you know, a, an act, maybe a modern one that really struck a chord with you that you really thought would take off in a different way and never did or perhaps took off in a different way than you expected? Well, I, I can tell you one. Um, let me I'll just throw something out. from The last record that I put out under Autumn Tone Records, a group called Golden Days from Los Angeles, I was surprised that that did not catch on a little more than it did. Uh, we did two records with them. I thought they were both phenomenal. I would agree with that. 
would absolutely agree with that. You know, I, I think. But again, the, it's it's you know thinking about it. Um, I've never put out records because they were uh, zeitgeisty or of the moment. So, you know, a couple of guys doing kind of a uh, electrified psychedelic folk thing. Maybe that wasn't what people were clamoring for in 2018 and 2019, but you know, again, timing. Talk to me a little bit about the aesthetic of the site and the visuals. So, you know, I know that it's changed over the years and I think it's found some amazing kind of concentration and, and continuity over the last several what what is the importance of the visual aspect of the site, the art that comes along with it, and what you choose to feature? You know, what what role does that play in the site, and has it become more important over time for you? I think it's always been there. I know I'm I'm, I'm a very visual person. You know, they say you can't judge a book by its cover, but you're a hell of a lot more apt to open that book if you like its cover. And I think. Having a continuity in any medium is important from how you you first encounter it to how you experience it throughout. So, yeah, I, th I think the visual aspect is really important from when you first land on the site to when you're scrolling down to the, uh, the tonally, the, the color palette, um, to when you, you're digging in deeper, uh, the navigation, uh, yeah, that's all. That's all been very important to me over the years, and you know, as the site's grown and we've had a little more change in my pocket, I've been able to explore that a little more. But um, yeah, I've been really lucky to work with a couple of guys, Chris Campbell and Daryl Norson, who uh, have been able to take what I see in my head and kind of put it on the page. You know, I'll, I'll just mention briefly that uh, many thanks to you for allowing me to do posters for Drunkard for several years. Oh, yeah. Uh, which led some, to some, some you know, a, a nice little side hustle for That's me. That's right. Uh, some gems. Long time. Yeah. Wig City Designs. Wig, <laughs> Wig City Designs. Ben Kramer. registered a business out of Aquarium Drunkard. Pretty amazing. Um, our next question comes so, from so, so speak, speaking, in, speaking oh, of, uh Speaking of you, Kramer, uh, just so the listeners are aware... You were involved with Autumn Tone for what a good five years, doing uh, a, a healthy six run. Years, six years. Six there, years. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I joined as an intern, and I think what, like within a year, I was co-owner of the record label. Yep. Yep. And uh, we put out some wonderful releases. It was really exciting. I packed a lot of those records myself in my apartments. Uh, anyway, uh, not to cut you off, you said there's a caller. Yeah, no, we have, a, we have a question that just came in on the Drunkard line, and that's 83 Drunkard. question comes in from Jay in Nashville who says, Do you think your experience with pre-internet music discovery has helped you navigate the current firehose of music and information? You know, where we're getting inundated constantly, playlist <laughs> culture. We're wondering, you know, you were a crate digger, you were looking through zines. You know, do you think that helps you kind of navigate and kind of sift through this fire hose, as Jay puts it? Absolutely. I mean, I think about this, and, you know, I I, I don't want to discount 
anyone's own discovery and in, in what era they're they're living in. But again, man, it was before the internet. I was born in 1975, so that gives you an idea of when I was around breathing air on this rock, you know, looking for sounds. Like it was, it was a hustle. You know, you were going to estate sales and, and yard sales and weird bookstores, and you know, you were you're buying these records and they were super cheap, so it didn't really matter if they sucked. You know, if the cover was cool or, or whatever it was. It, it felt, it felt a lot more gratifying than you know. I love the ease of being able to go on YouTube and have an algorithm serve me up, you know, fifteen obscure Nigerian psych records. But there was something um, that felt a little deeper twenty plus years ago when you had to to really work for that stuff. And I think there was also a sense of community that came with that. Um, not that there's not online communities, but, you know, especially now here in quarantine, where I think we're all kind of uh, reevaluating the importance of in real life relationships. I think some of that's been lost. But yeah, to, to Jay in Nashville's question, I do think coming up before the fire hose of just being inundated with so much new music all the time. I think it's, it's kept my, my bullshit detector pretty primed. Yeah. Have there been times where, you know, I'm not going to say you had a chance to sell out, but did you ever entertain the idea of joining a blog network or, now selling a, a chunk of the site into some greater entity what did you ever ever consider selling out for lack of a better way of putting it i never considered it um there's a six figure offer about 10 years ago but even then i looked at it as w what they would want to do um with the site or as they they referred to it the brand it wasn't in any way in line with what I was doing or what I was interested in doing. What are you interested in doing with the site now? What is the direction you see for the site over the next five, 10 and 15 years? I would like to take um, whatever it is that the aquarium drunkard, let's just say it again, brand or aesthetic. I'd like to take that and extrapolate that across film, across literature, uh, across culture, um, we, there's there's so many things that could be done, and as you and I both know, a lot of it just comes down to uh, to funding and, and manpower. There's just not a lot of there's not a lot of bread out there for publications at all, let alone more esoteric ones. Have you? seen it become a harder struggle to keep the site you know active and funded or has the patreon been able to kind of offset that and sustain the site and the contributors a little bit more patreon's been great and it, you know it's, it's really ticked up over the past months since we started this radio which was really cool to see that um people were 
stepping up and saying, hey, this is, this is worth $5 a month. Um, you know, Jason Woodbury, I used to joke around about that old um, pledge drive uh, maxim where the, you know, the canned voice would say, for the price of a cup of coffee, you could, it's true though, like it, you know, it's five bucks a month. In terms of the advertising stuff, you know, it, it's it's too bad that let's just say more labels don't put their ad dollars, their marketing dollars on sites that do write about their stuff instead of putting it on social media. As you know, that they're going to wonder why there's there's no one out there to review these records because there's not a lot of publications left, and if you're putting all your your ad dollars in Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you can't be surprised when there's no uh, there's no publications left to, to talk about the art. Yeah, I mean, can can you just talk briefly about how you have approached the social media aspect of Aquarium Drunkard? It, it's as curated and I feel as tasteful as the site, and has not kind of gone into much of the you know your jogging selfies and AMAs aside. There's not a right. lot of uh, vanity. Uh, no, no. It's so, funny you mentioned no. that. I, I've, I've always really tried to keep myself really divorced from the social media aspect of it. And I, I, I kept starting the Aqua Drunker Twitter account. Uh, yeah, and and I kept hearing over and over again that you know audiences want to feel like they're engaging with a human. Which I understand. So I, I've tried to incorporate a little more of that. Like this is, there's an actual human here, you know, behind the scenes, you know, it's a small group of people rather. This is, you know, Condé Nast or some, some big corporation. But um, the social media stuff, I, I have mixed feelings about it. It's, I think it's really important in terms of, of getting the word out about what all is happening. But the other side of me, you know, we're all staring at our phones all day. So that's a different discussion, I suppose. You know, there's, there's people listening all around the world right now, which we are so thankful for and is an incredible, incredible thing. And, and uh, it's all thanks to the site that you've created and shared. And I'm wondering, you know, if you could tell those folks in your words what it is you hope that they get out of the site what you would say to them in terms of uh you know what 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 it is that you i i, I mean really just what you hope they've gotten out of it you know what is it that you hope that a, a listener is taking away at the end of the day when they do contribute that five bucks or bookmark the site or whatever it is that they do to to come back i just hope somebody finds a piece of music that makes their uh, their life richer, more fuller than it was before. I mean, that's that's what music does for me every day. I mean, I'm a lifer. Like, this is... There was, there was no point in my life where I was going to be um, a bystander in this. Like, I knew this was going to be my life. I was going to be doing this in, in one way or another. So I hope that the things that we are sharing whether it's through the radio or the website or the podcast. Um, I hope that, uh, that the people that are taking this in, I hope it, it's enriching their lives. And maybe they're going to take that and share it with someone else. 
Justin, is there a post? Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you a two-part question here. Is there a post if you were telling somebody to go check out the site for the first time and you couldn't just say, hey, just check out the latest thing? What would you send them to? And if there's one post that you wrote that you could take back now, I'll give you this opportunity. The floor is yours. Um, I, I wish I had an answer for, for either one of those. I think that to get an idea of aquarium drunkard and the small group of people that contribute to it, I think you would have to kind of take it in in total. And I think you'd have to spend a little bit of time with it because I think at first glance it may seem a little schizophrenic, but there really is a through line uh, that guides it. And I think when you take the 10,000 foot view, it becomes very apparent. Um, your second question, if there was a, a post that I could take back, um, you know what? I think we've deleted all those from the archive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's, um, you know, I recall, I, I won't name names because I'll allow you to if you'd like, but there are several times I recall you perhaps ruining breaking an artist and saying, you know, maybe we should have tried to work with them or maybe, you know, Ooh, they blew up real fast. Uh, I should have tried to do an interview with them before that, you know, are there any artists out there that, that, you, that come to mind when you say, Oh wow, that was really, uh, that blew up like a cannon. No, no. I mean, everything works out like it's supposed to, you know, the circumstance you're referring to, it was, uh, oh, an I was artist. Several. I was thinking of several. Oh, right. Right. Please. <laughs> No, there were, there were certainly artists that I was hip to early. And let's say I had not written about them first, perhaps when I was running a record label, we would have had uh, a much better chance of landing them as opposed to a larger label. But man, again, it's like, shit works out like it's supposed to you know it's either your time or it's not I, I, that, that's something that uh, I'm certainly trying to get in line with that my my wife's kind of hit me to more over the years the number is 83 drunkard we have a couple minutes left here with Justin Gage we appreciate your messages coming in I've been sharing them with Justin the well wishes for 15 years of aquarium drunkard we thank you so much we thank you for your support, both in reading, sending us your comments, following on social media, which Justin and I love so much, uh, as well as listening here to Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard. Justin, ju just in the few minutes we have left, can you talk a little bit about why you started the station now during quarantine? Why are we able to be listening to 24-7 Aquarium Drunkard Radio? Okay, so this is something that I had wanted to do for years, and... Quite literally, it took a global pandemic to get me off my ass to, to motivate me to, to do this. My friend Jimmy Braille helped me get it set up. He was my engineer in 2005, 2006, when I had a radio show downtown at Little Radio. Jimmy was a pioneer in terms of online pirate radio. Love Jimmy. And yeah, Jimmy helped me out. He was, he was my consultant and we got this thing up and running in three days. And man, we've been online without a break for 
what is it, over two months now? Yeah, there, well, I had a little mishap last weekend, my bad, but um, that was like well, 10 yeah, minutes, I you promise, know. I promise. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been really fun. It's, there's a lot of really, really interesting specialty programming, and it's giving me yet another excuse to just go through these thousands of, of records and pieces of recording music that I've, I've held on to for years. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been interesting. The, the feedback's been really cool and it's, it's not just, uh, from this hemisphere, it's from all over. You know, I was, uh, reveling today at the number of artists who've performed sessions in, in one form or another for the site or have contributed. It's really remarkable, but I'm wondering if there was any artist or writer or, or artist of any, of any uh, medium if you could get one person to contribute to the site in any way, is there kind of a, you know, a, a real North Star, somebody you would wish could provide something to the site? I'll bring this up. And this is something that we've we've discussed through his label, but you're a Destroyer fan, right, Kramer? You're a fan? Big fan. Big fan of Destroyer. Yeah, so there's been talk for years of having Bahar do a cover of uh, Year of the Cat, Al Stewart. So I'm just going to put that out into the ether. We're willing that into the universe. Exactly. <laughs> so that's one uh, that just seems, you know, a match made in heaven. Also, I've been a fan of the various projects of, of Will Oldham for almost 30 years. So, uh, I've been very curious in terms of Lanyap sessions what his choice of covers would be. My guest has been Justin Gage, founder, the man behind the scenes of Aquarium Drunker. Justin, thank you so much for the site, for letting me be a part of it, for giving me this platform to be fun and silly and share music I love. And on behalf of, I'm sure, tens, hundreds, millions of people, Thank you for all the music you've shared. It's really been wonderful. My pleasure. The Llama. Nice being on the Tonight Zone. Have a good have a good broadcast this evening. And, and I'll, I'll be, be tuning, tuning in. in.